Uh, it's good to have a table for all my, my books and odds and ends here. All right. Blood's pumping. Feeling a little nervous, but I suppose that's probably probably good. Um, so as Scotty said, I am, uh, I'm Daniel, Daniel Reister, and I, I'm here today, and we're going to talk a little bit about a question, right? So my brain really works in, in the sense of questions. Like, I, I look at things and I say, I, and, I, and I ask myself questions. So the question we're going to answer today, and it's going to come up on the screen here, or the question we're going to dig into and not answer completely today, is what is endurance with God? This I found, so when Scotty asked me to preach, um, I, I was going through my head, okay, what, what do I talk about? Like, what can I speak to? And this is a question that I've asked myself over and over again and continue to ask it at least once a week um, for the past, like, at least a year. And it is, what is endurance with God? What does it look like starting with God, walking with God, and then ending with God in our lives? So we're going to tear into this a little bit and um, just with the way my personality is, and, and many of you know, I, I really love, um, I love history. And so I love to read history. And so we're going to look at a couple examples first off from history, and then we're going to dive into the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say about um, the endurance with God. So the first person, um, there will be a list that comes up here of names, and some of you might recognize these names, some of you might recognize n none of these names, and that's okay. These are all people I would recommend looking into their lives, because I'm only going to give you a brief history this morning, very, very short. And we're actually going to do this a little differently. Normally, I think somebody would get up here and kind of tell you all about this person. I'm going to tell you the beginning of this person's story, and then at the end, we're going to circle back, and we're going to talk about the end end of this person's story. So a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer got his doctorate from um, Berlin University in 1928 and then went off to be a pastor. And he actually traveled the world preaching in Barcelona. He lived in America on two separate occasions. Really an amazing guy, definitely worth digging into deeper. But I want to take a look at his work in 1935 when he started a seminary, and forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, but the, the place where he started the seminary was called Finkenwald. And um, the point of this, this seminary was at the time tension was growing because of World War II, and, um, and the church kind of found a split between the church of the government and then what became known as the Confessing Church. And so um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very, very um, prevalent in the creation of the Confessing Church. And so at this, at this seminary where um, Bonhoeffer was teaching in 35, what I want to dig into is they had a very specific structure and way that they lived their life while they were in school together, right? This was, they were totally immersed in this program, the students were. And the day started something like this. You would get out of bed, and you were to speak to nobody else around you, nobody at all, because the first words you heard were to be the words of God. And so they came together at the breakfast table, and there was a, a sermon preached. It was about a 45-minute sermon, and they would discuss, they would, they would read from the Old Testament, they would read from the New Testament, they would pray, and they would worship. And this is how they started their day. And then they stepped further along and and as they stepped further through their day, they had this, this um, practice of each week they would select a, a verse or a chunk of verses from the Bible that they were to study, right? That they were to dwell, they were to let their thoughts dwell upon during the week. And so they set a time 
um, they set time aside during their days, and, and that time was used to um, study this passage. But the funny thing is, they weren't allowed to use any, um, any other written information about this, this passage. They weren't, able, they weren't allowed to look at anybody else's thoughts on this passage. They were to dwell on the passage and see what God had to say specifically to them through it. And so that, that was only part of their day, right? There was time studying what other people had to say and teaching, but that was part of the day. The day would end the same as it started with a 45-minute sermon. So we're going to leave that story for now, and like I said, we'll come back to what that means um, to answering our question a little later. I want to talk briefly about a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Now, Corrie Ten Boom was also alive during the time of World War II, and um, I'll, I'll be very brief with her history, but she really grew up in a household that was pursuing after God. You can go and read the, the book on her. It's called The Hiding Place is one book written about her. But she was growing up in a family where the, the constant practice of studying the word and loving others was a reality in her life. And so that was the, the backdrop in which Corey Tin Boone grew up. And then um, as, as war broke out and, and they saw their neighbors being persecuted, they actually started inviting Jews into their home who were fleeing for their lives and they hid them and were trying to help them gain their freedom. And eventually the um, authorities at the time caught up with them and they were thrown in jail and they moved around quite a bit. All this time praying and following after God, pursuing God's heart for the people around them. Um, eventually their travels led them to a place called Ravensbrook, and Ravensbrook was a camp known for the people who were killed there. So let's leave Corey Tin Boom's story there for the moment. So the next person on the list is a woman named Carol Barker. Now Carol Barker, it appears, is a very commonplace story. She's actually a story from this generation, from this time that we live in, right? This was a person that you could have known and talked to. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about Carol Barker's life. She was a teacher, she was a lawyer, and then she wrote Bible study material. But above all, Carol Barker valued relationship with those around her, right? So this doesn't sound like a very amazing story, but when we pick it up again a little later, it sounds much more amazing. So now I want to jump into the Bible and I want to talk about a man named Stephen as we try to as we try to tear apart this question, what is endurance with God? What does it look like to walk all our life with God? So if we can jump to the next slide and we'll be it we'll be starting in Acts um, chapter Acts chapter 7 verses 48 through 60. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced, their, who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. 
Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen died. Stephen had a very brief appearance in the Bible. In fact, he appeared just prior to this in, in the other chapter, and there was a, a short story about him um, starting his work with the apostles. And then um, prior to this, it's a bunch of writing about Stephen defending his case, Stephen defending what he believed in right before he died. So if you, um, if you enjoy to dig deeper, I would encourage you to go back and to read that story. But if we can jump to our next slide here, we're going to talk a little bit about what can we learn from Stephen when we're trying to answer our question, what is endurance with God? So Stephen, first off, I want to point out as a man who was willing to stand in his convictions, right? He stood in what he believed. We know that he's a knowledgeable man because of the defense that he put up right before he was killed, and he made very clear what he believed, right? So standing in our convictions, I think, is something that's very, very important when we discuss this question, but then that raises another question, what are our convictions, what do we believe? And so that'll become apparent We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, the other thing I want to say is the Holy Spirit is active in the lives of the believers. And it's very clear as we see Stephen look up to heaven that, um, that he's very well connected with the Holy Spirit, right? He spent a lot of time in his life cultivating relationship with God. So when he came under fire for what he believed, he was willing to believe it to death. The other thing that I, I love about Stephen is it's very clear that his gaze is fixed on what is to come. And it says this quite literally because he sees, the, he sees the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. But it's evident that in his life he was living his life in such a way that he was thinking about the time when Jesus was going to come again. He was thinking about the time that he was going to stand with God as a child of God and be made whole again. Now he was still on this earth and he he was still preaching what he believed, but he had his mind set that this is only a part of the journey. That's something that I've learned about, about Stephen. But it's funny because it's only a part of the story because there's another main character who gets introduced here. And the main, a main character, I, I know he's a main character because it said him by name. Everybody else was just a crowd of people. But then there was this young man named Saul young man named Saul, who was approving of this murder, right? Young man named Saul. But we know that God is good, and we know that God has a plan, and so we're going to pick up a little later on and see what God's plan was for this young man named Saul and see what it means for us when we think about endurance with God. So I want to jump into James now really quick and see what James has to say for us today. Um, we're going to be starting in James Chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. 
James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brethren, trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also, will, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under the trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is tempted. Uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. For each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from, um, is from above. Coming down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creation. So there was a whole lot in there, but let's go ahead and start breaking this down. Um, the first thing that I realized when I started reading through this chapter and reading it over and over again, trying, trying to understand information that was there as it relates to my question, um, I see tri a link between trials and steadfastness. And we just saw it with Stephen, right? He was under trial for what he believed, a literal trial, and then also an earthly trial of being killed for what he believed. Um, and th but that produced steadfastness. That was the fruit of his trials. So these trials in our lives play a specific role, and that's why as Christians, knowing this, knowing that our trials lead to steadfastness, and God walks through all of it with us, it allows us to really pursue after God in our trials, to see God in our trials, and to, to look to Him and to find joy in our situation. So trials to steadfastness. Okay, the next thing in this, this chapter where it, it literally says petition for wisdom. So when we think about wanting to pursue something all our life, we know that um, we, we can't do that alone, right? We need wisdom. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to petition God for wisdom. And his promise, when I read through this, his promise is right here, that when we petition God for wisdom, when we feel like we don't have the wisdom to make the decisions we need to make, or the faith to follow the God that we, that we desire to follow, then we petition him for wisdom. And this is all going to tie in with some practices that we, we can perform in our lives a little later. Okay, at the end of this passage, I want to talk a little bit about, um, about sin because it talks about temptation and sin and God 
God is not able, right? God does not tempt. God is not tempted, but we are tempted, right? Because Satan is real. Satan is in this world, and his desire is that we don't have endurance with God, that we turn our backs on God and walk to anything else but him. And so as I was thinking through this and thinking about what to say, I, I kind of paused on this idea of sin and I started to file back through my life and I started to think about the times when I felt close to God and the times when I felt distant from God. And I thought about my sin patterns and I noticed that my sin patterns when I was in a time where I was feeling distant from God, my sin patterns looked quite different. In fact, my, um, the, the, the habitual sin that I would fall into and the, the way that I felt the shame as a result of that looked very different than the times when I felt closer to God and I fell into sin, but I could feel his presence and I could feel renewed by him. So my point in saying this is it raises red flags when, the, like for me, if I file back through my life and I'm like, if I'm running into this type of sin again and again, Maybe I need to address my condition with my relationship with God because something's not quite right. And so I thought it was an interesting exercise to go back. And I would encourage you to go back through your life and look for patterns and see where you have what types of sin and what that looks like in your life and what it means for your walk with God at that time. Uh, the next thing I want to pull out of this passage of James is, is talking about He's a father of no variation. And so when we're thinking about endurance with God, it's a lot easier for me to wrap my head around the idea that God's not changing. Only the things around me in this world are changing, but God's a constant, right? If we're performing an experiment, we need a constant. And so in this case, in this life, our constant is God, and the rest is trying to pursue what does God have for me and how should I be following God? Um, and then it also gave me some comfort to know that this God that I'm pursuing, that I want to have endurance with, I want to live a lifetime with, is the, literally the God who created me, who breathed life into me. And he created us, um, and, and he created us to be with him. So that gives me some confidence as I walk in this life, and I run into these hard times, and I say, is it worth it? Do I want to continue doing this? Like, does this make sense? So um, now I want to flip over and catch up with this man named Saul, who actually is now called Paul. Um, and, and if you don't know the story of Saul converting to Paul, go back in your Bibles and read some, some more in Acts. But we're going to pick up with this guy who was affected by the murder of this man, Stephen, way back when, these things must have been swirling around in his mind. But he later goes on to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses uh, 24 through 34. I find my place here. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected or he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him when all things are subjected to him. Then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do you mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, uh, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So, the last part there, um, the, this last chunk from 29 to 34, is where I'm going to pull most of my content for answering our questions. So if we jump to the next slide and we see that the story continues, right? Saul is now called Paul, and he is now walking with God, with Jesus, confessing Jesus to be the Son of God who died for our sins and then rose again on the third day. So a huge twist. So we look at somebody like that and we're like, wow, God took somebody running in the other direction from, from being saved from Jesus to flipping him around and then all of a sudden he is running to Jesus, arms open wide. That gives me courage to say that I could live life in endurance for God for he can change anybody's heart. But what I want to look at is this bad company ruins good morals. And so many of you and you Many of you in here have been parents, but if you haven't been a parent, I guarantee you at one point you were a kid. And so when you're a kid, do you remember your parents ever saying, well, you can't watch that, or you can't do that, or you shouldn't listen to that, or you cannot touch that, or so on and so forth, right? We, we, we know that these are common things for kids as they grow up or for parents to tell their kids. But there's a reason for that, and it's the model that God put forth to us, right? God the Father put forth to us, and that's to be careful, to be wary of what you allow into your life, to be thinking about what you're filling your life with, because the things you fill your life with are going to determine how you walk with God, right? So if we're putting in, we want to be wary of the media that we put in, of the things we listen to, the things we watch, because not all things are good for us, right? So it's, it's that active decision, right? The intentionality of I'm going to put, I'm going to be aware of what I'm putting in. I'm going to be conscious of what I'm putting in because I know what I put in directly results what I put out to other people and how I relate with God. The next thing I want to talk about is knowledge and the study of God. Knowledge and the study of God, it's interesting because it's, it's hard because you can't just read the Bible like, like you would read um, any other book. Because faith is more is about relationship as much as it's about um, about study. But I want to talk about the importance of study with God. And I'm going to look at my notes here because I think um, 
I want to jump to the next slide, and this will kind of be my, this will kind of wrap things up, and then we'll go into the, um, we'll go into the, the closing of some of these other stories. So, and we'll talk also a little more about study here, but I want to start with like, as I listen, as I thought through all these things, and I, I spent time praying and just just waiting on God, these are the things that I was learning that are cultivating a lifetime of endurance with God. These are the facts that I pulled from people's lives, and these are the things that I'm seeing God do in my own life. And the first one is discipline in your faith is of utmost importance. Intentionality in your faith is of utmost importance, right? We need to first decide if we're going to actually pursue this God, right? Do we believe in him? Do we want to live a lifetime with him? And then from there, we need to structure our lives disciplined to, to, um, to pursue after him. So what can that look like? What does that look like? So these are some things from my life that, that I pulled where, where I found discipline in my faith is helpful in pursuing after God, and then from what I read from history and the Bible, um, the things that lined up, right, with answering our question, how do you live a lifetime with God? So regular and intentional acts of prayer. Now, I kind of broke prayer into just two groups, and it's individual and corporate, and, and there's, there's a whole sermon on prayer. In fact, uh, Renee preached the whole sermon on prayer at one point, and you could preach multiple more, but I just want to touch on these these two types of prayer really quick. So individual prayer for me, when I look into my life and I think about individual prayer, I think about, um, I think about growth with God in my trust and relationship, right? That's where I form my personal relationship with God. So if I want to live a life pursuing after God all the way to the end, it's pretty important that I spend time working on my relationship with Him. So that would be an aspect of my individual prayer. It's a time for me to confess my sin, to address the issues in my life that I'm convicted of, right? Convicted of because of the Holy Spirit. And then corporate prayer also plays a role in us walking a long life with God because it's the time when we, it's a time when we come together with other believers, right? We come together with other believers to, um, to intercede as the church on others' behalfs to encourage one another to walk this life of faith with one another. So for me, when I started thinking about this, I was like, wow, you really can't walk a lifetime with God without engaging regularly in individual prayer and corporate prayer. The other thing, and some of these might seem like, I guess, obvious things, but I think it's important to reiterate a lot of this, is that regular study of the Word is crucial, right? We build our, we build our lives on God, and to learn more about God, we pray and we study the Bible. And something interesting that I noticed in my life as I look through different stages and patterns in my life is that when I go to read my Bible, it's important that when I open it up, that I don't just study what aligns with my life, but I study the Bible, and here comes the discipline part, cover to cover the parts that seem really weird, the parts that I don't quite understand, the parts that I'm like, how could that possibly apply to my life? And yet I study them, and I study them, and I study them, and I continue to go back 
and read through them. And the importance here is that we, that like for me, is that I form this discipline so that I can walk an entire lifetime with God and not just a season. And then along with that, I think the, there's a heavy importance on prayer alongside your reading, right? You're going to pray and read, and then you're going to read, and you're going to pray. And that's how God's going to talk to us. That's how we're going to cultivate relationship with God. So I want to read this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who wrote a little bit about reading the Bible. First of all, I will confess quite simply, I believe that the Bible alone is the answer to all our questions, and that we need only to ask repeatedly and a little humbly in order to receive this answer. One cannot simply read the Bible like other books. One must be prepared really to inquire of it. Only thus will it reveal itself, only if we expect from it the ultimate answer shall we receive it. That is because in the Bible, God speaks to us, and one cannot simply think about God in one's own strength. One has to inquire of him. Only if we seek him will he answer us. Of course, it is possible to read the Bible like any other book, that is to say, from the point of view of textual criticism. There is nothing to be said against that, only that that is not the method which will reveal to us the heart of the Bible, but only the surface. Just as we do not grasp the words of someone we love by taking them to bits, but by simply receiving them, so that for days they go on lingering in our minds simply because they are the words of a person we love. And just as these words reveal more and more of the person who said them, as we go on, like Mary, pondering them in our hearts, so it will be with the words of the Bible. Only if we, we will venture to enter into the words of the Bible as though in them this God were speaking to us who loves us and does not will to leave us along with our, alone with our questions, only so shall we learn to rejoice in the Bible. I, I really love that quote. It's just another person from history, another point in time of somebody asking a question and somebody just engaging in this reckoning about what does it mean to read the Bible and how do you read it effectively so that it changes your life? How do you read it in such a way that you can walk with God for all of your days in such a way that you allow God to speak into your life? So I'm going to wrap up these stories here, and we're actually not going to do them all um, because I, I have limited time and I'm probably going too long. And so we're going to take a look at Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and then we're going to also wrap up Carol Barker's life. And then I have one more um, short one because I had another question as I was exploring this question. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1945 due to after a life of study which led to a life of prayer which led to a life of faith and action he was hung for um, being involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler and it's really interesting because as you read through his life you kind of see these different stages but you see a lot of consistency at different trials in his life even when he spent many years um, in prison is that he was consistent in his study and in his prayer. 
He's consistent in his study and in his prayer. And this firsthand account who saw him go to the gallows to be hung, um, this person said, hardly, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Entirely submissive to the will of God. But what you should know is that this onlooker didn't really even know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He just saw him walk to his death. So it's important that we consider the way we live our lives because the way we live our lives is going to directly affect the people around us. So we're responsible for more than just our lives. Carol Barker. Carol Barker on this list. I would be surprised if, if any of you knew Carol Barker in this room, but Carol Barker was my, my aunt. And Carol Barker died back in 2017. Um, back in 2017. But it started out as a simple story. A woman of, of normal faith, right? But Carol Barker was so much more. She was injured at age 20 and a, a quadriplegic. She spent her life in a wheelchair. She faced suffering every day. This is, uh, this is one of the few people who I could look into her eyes and you could physically see pain. Sorry, I wasn't gonna cry. I'm working on it. You could see pain in her eyes, but yet in her life, all you could see was joy. Right? She affected my life. She affected the lives of many others. She eventually died from, from, from this accident many, 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 many years later. Um, but she walked through a life loving people well, and she embodied this dependence on God and dependence on others that at this point in my life I will never understand, and many of us never will. But cultivating dependence on God is crucial in walking this life with God all the way to the end. The last thing I want to share when I, when I think about, when I started thinking about this question of endurance with God and that God has us here for a purpose and every breath we breathe, we're here because God wants us here. But in my mind, I start thinking through the people that I love who either were injured, like my aunt, or who got to the end of their life and memory, memory loss started to take hold. The people that I knew and loved that didn't know me anymore, right? So I, I think about my, my grandma, my grandma Reister. Margaret Reister was her name, and at the end of her life, as she had dementia, she literally couldn't tell, she didn't know the names of the people she loved, and she would hardly ever speak. She didn't know her husband. She didn't know her kids. She didn't know her grandkids. She didn't know people. So what was God's purpose with having her on this earth, right? She was still breathing in and out, so God must have had a purpose. And then I think back to this time as a 10-year-old boy, and I stood, I was standing, our whole family came together, and, and we were visiting her at, at the home she was in, and we were singing hymns. I, th I think we were singing it as well with my soul. And the amazing thing was is she could sing hymns, right? She could still praise God, even though she couldn't remember anybody around her. How many people did she affect that were standing around her that she didn't even know? 
I still remember it. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful I can tell you that story today. And so when I think about endurance with God, I, I see it's such a huge thing. Like there's so many aspects to it. But I think today what I want you to take away is that, that prayer, in, intentionality in prayer and studying and being in community with one another is very important if you're interested in cultivating a lifelong walk with the Lord. So then the last thing up on the screen here is, is what confidence do I say this in? Why would I get up here and say these things if I don't have a confidence in it? And like I said, I love history, and I read in the Bible, and I read throughout history, and I can see and say in confidence to you today that we serve a God who has a perfect track record of using imperfect people to bring about a perfect plan. So, are you ready to engage in this walk, in this endurance, this lifelong journey, wherever you're at, whether you just started it, whether you've been in it a while, but you're still young, whether you've lived a lifetime in it, are you still ready to cultivate endurance with God and to reach the people around you? close us in prayer. We thank you, Lord, just for your goodness, for all of the things that you teach us in so many different ways, for making us curious people who want to ask questions, who want to desire to know more. And we just pray, I just pray today that we would um, rest on your word, that we would um, alight, you would enlighten us a new passion to study, to study with intention, that we would look at everything in our lives and that we would try to, to intentionally think, what can I do to pursue God better in my life today? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for your presence here today. Amen.